Well, today we come to Genesis chapter 40. Please open your Bibles up there. Genesis chapter 40. Joseph is in prison as an innocent man, but uh, he has been given a good position in the prison. We will see today that God is with him, as we talked about last week as well. Um, we will learn today not to look at our circumstances, but rather to look to our God. We will also learn today that there is a way to live that is contrary to the way that this world presents to us. We are servants of the Lord and not servants of man. But let's go ahead and jump on into it here. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 40. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So the king is Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the king. They are one and the same person, just two different ways to address him here. Originally, the word Pharaoh came from a word that referred to a great house. Uh, it didn't originally speak to a person. Later, it became a reverential title for the highest leader in the land. But what we see here in the story of Joseph is a moving up in the ranks, if you will. Joseph's master was Potiphar, the captain of the guards. He's the one that owned Joseph as a slave. Uh, Potiphar was the leader of the prison, the, uh, the warden, if you will, right? Potiphar had thrown uh, Joseph into prison, and it was the prison that Potiphar actually oversaw. But now our story here is going to include the ultimate leader in the land, Pharaoh. That's why I say we're kind of moving up in the ranks from Joseph's life is, in a sense, from Potiphar, who bought him, who was the captain of, captain of the guards, the head of the prison. And now we're going to, Pharaoh's going to enter the picture here. And here we see that these two men, the butler and the baker, were servants of Pharaoh's in his palace. And for one reason or another, they had gotten on the bad side of Pharaoh. Since it's a butler and a baker, maybe the butler served a bad dessert, right, to Pharaoh and then blamed it on the baker, and the baker blamed the butler, and Pharaoh is just disgusted with them and threw them all in jail. But that's pure speculation. We really don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us here what the issue was, okay? But again, whatever the reason here, we find that these two men are in jail. And verse 3 continues, So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the palace, where Joseph was confined. Now again, who was the captain of the guard? Potiphar, the same one that bought Joseph and then ultimately put Joseph in prison. Verse 4, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. So it was Joseph's job to oversee the butler and the baker. I'm sure he had other duties there, but the Bible's pointing out to us that Joseph is involved in the life of these two guys, these two men. Verse 5, Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. 
And Joseph came in to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. Now, it's not, there's no wonder that these guys are sad here, right? They had recently gone from high positions in the king's palace to the lowest position they could possibly imagine, and, be, and they're in prison. Their circumstances, the circumstances of their lives have, tra- have changed drastically. But the interesting thing to me here is the response of Joseph. Look at verse 7. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? You see, Joseph here is concerned about others. That's what jumps out to me here. Joseph is not moping around with a woe is me attitude. That's not how he's going through life. He too is unjustly in prison, but he is serving others while he is there. While he's going through this bad time in his life, he's actually still giving to others, still caring for others, right? If you put yourself in Joseph's shoes, right? We've read all of the circumstances of his life here. What would be your mind frame? What would your behavior be like if you had these circumstances, right? How do you react when you are wronged by someone else? Does your attitude go south? Or do you look to God to help you deal with your circumstances in a way that glorifies Him? Right? We, re- we really do have that choice every day and in every circumstance that comes our way. We have that choice to decide how we're going to live and how we're going to react to certain situations, right? Jesus taught on this very subject. And I want you to go ahead and mark this page now and turn in your Bibles to the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and let's start reading in verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, it says, and, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And then when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to pause right here, because right off the bat, this is contrary to conventional thinking and conventional living today, right? The world doesn't teach us to be poor in spirit. The world would make what Jesus said here look more like this, right? Blessed are the proud in spirit, for they shall achieve great things. That's the way the world looks at things. Be proud, you know, and and, and achieve great things, right? But as as I often point out to you, the way of the world is not the way of the Word, the way of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here that Jesus has already set the tone for what He is teaching. We're not talking about the way of the world. We are not talking about how all the other people of the world live. We are talking about the way a disciple of Jesus is to live. That's who Jesus has sat down to teach here his disciples. So keep that in mind as we go through these verses here. This is written for the person that understands that as a disciple of Jesus, we are not to be of this world. We're in it, but we're not to be of it. 
We're not to be like it. We're to live differently. There's a different way we are to live that's painted for us or written for us in the scriptures, right? Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So there's so much to learn here for us. And Jesus is teaching a completely different mentality here, a completely different way of thinking about and looking at your life. All right, and let me ask you all something here this morning. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are you seeking after it, right, with all that is within you? That's what it means to hunger and to thirst for it. Or are you comfortable with living in accordance with the worldly mentality that gets thrust upon you in everyday life, right? There's this mentality that is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, right? Our Lord wants us, though, to be filled with righteousness. But we must seek after it. Righteousness is something something that we must seek after. No one attains to righteousness without seeking after it. By God's grace, we have the opportunity to come to righteousness, but by our choices, we seek after and attain it. I want to say that again, right? Because it's important that we understand that by God's grace, we have the opportunity to come to righteousness. God gave a free gift. He said, you can be made righteous, right? right? And we can attain to righteousness. But it's by our choices that we make that we'll get there. The choice to say, I'm repenting. I'm turning to the Lord. I'm not living in the way I always lived. I'm not going in the way of this world, doing what the world does. I'm going in the way of the word, in the way of my Lord. So Jesus is teaching something completely different here to his disciples. Blessed, verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. That's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? You reap what you sow. We all need mercy from time to time and for one reason or another. But if you are the type of person that does not show mercy to others, then don't be surprised when you don't receive mercy when you need it. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As I have encouraged all of you time and time again, guard your hearts. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So you need to guard your heart. You need to focus your eyes, focus your minds on that which is pure. Again, this comes back to the choices we make on a daily basis. What, how we're living, what we're looking at, what we're doing, right? It really does matter greatly. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, Now, there's another thought right there that is strange to this world, what Jesus is teaching right there. You are blessed when you are persecuted. And blessed means happy. So really, is that what Jesus is saying here? Yeah, it is, right? Because the reality for the disciple of Jesus is that this is not our home. Heaven is our home. We're just passing through, right? 
We are to hunger, to thirst, to seek after righteousness with all of our hearts. This is how we are to live this life. And then we finally will go home to where we belong. As disciples of Jesus, we come from a long line of persecuted people. Jesus tells us that in verse 12 there. But our reward is far greater than anything that this world will offer us. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8 8 and verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And that was his mindset, looking to, the, to where he was going. Now you may say, look, Dave, I, I don't have this attitude, this, this mentality. I, I'm not there yet. Well, are you headed there? That's the important thing. Are you headed there? Are you seeking after it? Is that the direction you've chosen to go in life? Again, this world will hand you what it hands everyone else, a way to destruction a way to go south, a way to walk that is apart from the Lord. But God, through the teaching of His Word, through His Word that He has given us, instructs us to come to Him and to draw near to Him. Are you on a daily basis seeking more and more righteousness in your life? If so, then press on. And if not, then repent. It's that simple. We just turn and we begin to do what we know the Word of God wants us to do. Look what Jesus says of His disciples here in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Do you ever take notice to what that says there? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? What does that it refer to? It refers to the earth. Right? The world that you live in. So you could read it like this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall the earth be seasoned? In other words, how shall the people around you, the people of everyday life, be affected? How shall their lives be changed if you've lost your flavor, if you're not seeking what is good? Jesus says there, it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And that's what happens to the person that doesn't live for Jesus Christ, that doesn't walk in the light that doesn't serve him he just gets trampled underfoot by men in other words he's just out there with the rest of the crowd being trampled down by by what they do rather than by rather than doing something different and seeking the will of the lord and seeking after righteousness and hungering and thirsting jesus said in verse 14 you are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So you see, this is the way of life that the Lord Jesus desires for us. Let people see Christ in you. Let people experience good from within you. But you won't have that, right? If we're not seeking it, we won't have it. If you're not dying to your old nature, putting on the new nature that is in Christ, right, that Christ has given to you, then you won't have any influence on others around you. And you will walk around in misery all of your days. You'll be trampled underfoot because you'll be just like the rest of the world. No light, no, no salt, no flavor, right? Nothing good coming out of you. 
And as we flip back to Genesis chapter 40 now, Joseph, even though he was in prison, this is why I went to those scriptures in Matthew, because Joseph, even though he was in prison, he, served, he chose to live differently. He made a choice to live differently, to serve others and to help others, even in a time when his life was down and even in a time when you would say he was down and out. Right? He sees two men that are sad here and he takes time to reach into their lives and find out if maybe there's a way he can help them, the, the butler and the baker. And, and this is what a person that is others-centered will do. Right? The self-centered person will choose to wallow in the muck of their own despair. The self-centered person will walk around with a woe-is-me attitude and that mentality like, oh, everybody does me wrong and all this, right? As opposed to doing what Jesus taught us to do and doing what we see Joseph doing, and that is reaching out into the life of someone else. We are to die to ourselves because we are servants of the Lord. And the story goes on now in verse 8. Speaking of the butler and the baker, it says, And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Okay, now let's think about what Joseph says here. He says, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. Well, of course, Joseph isn't God, but Joseph is a servant of God. And he is living his life for God's glory. He is a servant of God in, in every circumstance of his life. Remember when he ran from the grips of Potiphar's wife when she grabbed onto his robe? But before taking off running... Joseph made a statement. He said, I'm not going to sin against God. I'm not going to do this. He wouldn't take this woman's advancements. He said, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to sin against God. He was a servant of God. And we need to run when we're faced with the opportunity to sin, right? To sin with our eyes, to sin with our bodies, to sin with our minds. We need to make a, a choice to flee, right? Because we are servants of the Most High God not servants of mankind. So yes, indeed, the interpretation of dreams does belong to God, but Joseph knew that God would give the interpretation to him for these men because Joseph was a servant of God. Verse 9, Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will, be put, you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. Now pause right there. Here we see a man, the butler of Pharaoh. He was sad, right? His head was hung low. He has a dream and Joseph interprets the dream and tells him that his head will be lifted up. His sadness will be gone, in other words, and, and he will be restored to his former elevated position as one of the king's officers. 
So Joseph is used by God here to interpret a dream, and Joseph gives this man the interpretation, and in this case, it is a good report. And since Joseph now knows that this man is going to go back to the palace of Pharaoh, Joseph knows this dream is going to come true just the way God told it to him. So he knows that this man is going to go back in Pharaoh's palace and serve him. So Joseph will now take the opportunity to plead his cause with this butler. Verse 14, but remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Now, the thing that I failed to mention to you earlier here is that the butler is also referred to as a cup bearer. In Egypt, cup bearers were often called pure of hands and the one who tastes the wine. That's what a cup bearer's job was, part of his duties, right? The cupbearer would protect the life of the pharaoh. It was their job to detect if there was any poison in it. Of course, if they drank it and there was and they died, the pharaoh wouldn't drink it. Okay? Some have said that the cupbearer was just a, a glorified guinea pig. But the king really trusted the cupbearer, the butler here in this instance. If you read the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, you'll see that that was... Nehemiah's position as well in the king's palace. But Joseph here is hopeful that the butler, the cupbearer, will remember him when he gets back inside the king's palace. And you know, I can't help but remember Jesus here in this situation. You see, there was a day when Jesus was sitting at a table with his 12 disciples. And we know that as the Last Supper, that's what we call it, right? But he had just poured three years into teaching these men, his disciples, day after day and night after night, he had poured into them. And he was about to go to the cross to suffer and to die for the sin of the world. And as they sat at this table, Jesus lifted up a cup, a cup of wine. He was a a cup bearer and he asked them to remember him much like Joseph is doing here. Joseph served these men, and now that he has given a good report, he simply wanted the man to remember him and speak of him in the palace. We will see as we go on that this man will not remember Joseph, at least not immediately. He will actually betray Joseph's hope in that sense. Joseph is hopeful that, hey, I helped this guy. He's going to do this. Now he'll help me, but he will be betrayed by the butler. You would think that he would have been extremely grateful to Joseph for serving him and giving him a good report, but he was probably too focused on his own success, too focused on himself. Yeah, I'm getting out of here. Yeah, I'm going back to where I was. Yeah, I'm going to have this great job. Yeah, I'm going to have this again. I'm going to have that again, right? And in the room with Jesus, the night of the Last Supper, There was one there that would betray him as well. One that would choose not to remember all that Jesus had done for him. And we must often ask ourselves the questions, the question in regards to how we live, right? Do we remember the Lord? Do we remember his goodness toward us? Do we remember his faithfulness 
His faithfulness unto death. Do we, do we remember the fact that He gave His life so that we might have eternal life? Or are we too busy with our own lives to remember Him? Too busy with chasing after our own success and what this world has to offer. Too busy to remember the Lord. But the story continues on now and verse 16 here says, When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream and there were three white baskets on my head. Now notice that. He's like, oh, there's a good interpretation. I had a dream too. I'm hoping this is a good interpretation, right? He said, I was also in my dream and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. So he's not lifting up his head, he's lifting off his head. So this interpretation doesn't fare well for the baker. But I love how the Bible, the Word of God, doesn't mask things, right? It gives it to us straight. You see, the butler and the baker, you could narrow it down and say they were servants of men. They were servants of a man. But Joseph is a servant of God. All three of these men, the butler, the baker, and Joseph, all three of them are in prison. And all three of their lives have a different outcome. Joseph, the servant of the Lord, is in prison and will remain in prison. The baker, the servant of man, is in prison and will soon die a death by hanging. The butler, also a servant of man, will be freed and restored again to his high position. So, in all of this, we have to look and say, God is working in one man's life here. We see God in this story, we see him focused on the life of Joseph. And oftentimes, we look at the way circumstances and situations happen in life and we think, why does it come out this way? Why does life work out this way for this person and that way for that person, right? Well, it's all a matter of where that person is within their own heart. Are they committed to God? Are they submitted to Him? Are they seeking after righteousness? Are they desiring to serve the Lord? What are their choices like? See, because people are the product of their choices. You are the product of your choices. Whatever you choose to do. And the ultimate choice that people must make is to come to God, their Creator. The one who knows His will. Who knows His perfect will for their lives, right? That's the ultimate choice. We must come to our Creator. And we must surrender our lives to Him because that's the ultimate best plan. Now, in this world, we have tribulation. We've talked about that. Things go wrong. Things go bad in this life all the time. But yet, we're not of this world. And this world is not our home. You see, and we serve a God that knows the end from the beginning. He already knows the end. He already knows the end of your life. He knew the beginning of your life, and He already knows the end. He knows everything. And as I've discussed in the past, the scripture from Isaiah, right, that I've quoted time and time again, our thoughts are not His thoughts. 
and our ways are not his ways. His ways are much higher than ours. We have to surrender to that. We have to surrender to our great and mighty God and to his will being done. Again, Joseph's not going to get out right now. We're going to see that. He's not getting out of prison. But we serve a mighty God. In Romans chapter 11, it says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So it's all, it's all his. It's all God's. He's the great master. He is the one we yield to. He is the one we surrender to. You see, what the Lord God is doing here is working in the life of His servant Joseph. For the ones that choose to be servants of man, sometimes things go north and sometimes things go south when you're a servant of man. Don't be surprised when they go south. Don't be surprised when you trust in people if they betray you, if things go downhill. But God will never betray you. I'd rather be a servant of the Lord like Joseph than to be a servant of man and know that my future is not based on the emotions or the self-centeredness of someone else and the decisions they make, right? It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man, Psalm 118.8 says. Verse 20 says, Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So it's all working out in accordance with God's plan here. But there's still a long road ahead for Joseph, the servant of the Lord. Chapter 41 will uh, begin by telling us that Joseph will be there two more years. So Joseph will remain in this prison for a period of time. Right? The Lord's work in our life often takes time. Right? As a matter of fact, the Lord's work in our life takes a whole lifetime. His work will be being done until we die. We will constantly be a work in progress. It is Him that works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure, the Scripture tells us. As long as we have breath, He'll be working in us. But will we yield to His working? Will we submit our lives to Him? And there are a lot of verses of Scripture that instruct us that we need to keep going, that we need to have patience, we need to have endurance. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, it says you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. You see, that's what the Scripture is teaching us, that we have to have patience. That word patience can also be translated endurance. We understand what endurance is, right? We gotta, we're in it for the long haul. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep walking. We've got to keep walking by faith and not by sight. We need to perse- persevere. We need to not give in to sight. See, sometimes things are bad in this life. Sometimes things are good. But our choices are the most important thing. And, and the main choice 
that we need to make is to surrender to our master. Let his will be done and be patient in it and endure. Don't get too focused on the circumstances of today, whether they be good or whether they be bad, because the one thing in life that is constant is change. That's the one thing in life that is constant. Change. There will always be change. Life is not always good, but it's not always bad either. But the one that remains the same, the one that remains constant, and the one that remains unchanging is our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the only rock upon which we can build our life. And what we need to do is to live a life where on a daily basis we remember the Lord. No matter what the circumstances of this life may be, we remember the Lord. And the practical way that we remember Him is by dying to our selfish selves and seeking after Him by hungering and thirsting after righteousness, by living that kind of life, by letting the salt that is your life not lose its good flavor, and by letting the light of Christ that is within you shine forth. Don't hide it. Let it shine forth. And all of this, everything I'm talking about, all of this we do by faith, not by sight. And we keep persevering and we make that choice to be a servant of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word again. God, thank you that we can start this week like this with our eyes turned toward you with our eyes fixed on what your will is, Lord, and just little by little, bit by bit, we can grow in the knowledge of you. Thank you that you have given us your word, Lord. We have Bibles, Lord, that we can read throughout the week and we can sit down and and read chunks of it and just continue to focus our lives on your will, Lord. Your, Your will is written out for us in black and white and red, Lord. It's written out for us what you desire for us. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who teaches us. I pray, Lord, for each one of us here, Lord, that we would surrender more of our hearts to you this week, that we would focus our minds on you, Lord, that we would begin to make choices, Lord, in this life that show that we are your servants, that we would be a light that shines forth, Lord, into a dark world, that that we would be a salt that seasons the earth around us, that we would do good, Lord, that we would, like Joseph, reach into someone else's life, even when our circumstances are bad, that we would just die to ourselves, Lord, and and not be so self-centered, but that we, we would be just your servant, Lord. You are the greatest example of that to us. So we thank you, Lord, for this time, and we thank you for this week that is ahead. We pray your blessing upon it all. In Jesus' name. Amen.